Welcome to the Adoption and Foster Care Journey, a podcast to encourage, educate, and equip you to care for children and youth through adoption, foster, and kinship care. Hosted by an adoptive mom with over 22 years of kinship and adoptive parenting experience, she's on this journey with you. Please welcome Sandra Flack. These commandments that I give you today are to be with you on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. That is Deuteronomy 6 verses 6 through 9. Some of the very verses the Lord used to lead my family into homeschooling over 20 years ago. I am your host, Sandra Flack. Thank you for joining me for this episode of the Adoption and Foster Care Journey. Today, we are going to be talking education and IEPs for our children with neurodiversity, including FASD. But first, I'd like to tease out a special series of episodes with my guest, Dr. Jared Brown, PhD, specializes in trauma, FASD, autism, forensics, and traumatic brain injuries. I'm recording a series of episodes with Dr. Brown, focusing on uh, topics of particular interest to adoptive and foster parents, uh, such as prenatal trauma, adverse childhood experiences, attachment, and so much more. Uh, Dr. Brown is a treasure trove of information and practical application. So be sure to watch your inbox for those special episodes. Regular episodes of the Adoption and Foster Care Journey uh, drop in your inbox on Mondays. But these special uh, episodes, the special series with Dr. Brown will drop on a different day. And as of this recording, I'm not exactly sure which day of the week that will be, but be on the lookout because very soon those episodes will start arriving. Uh, So also, as we journey together through the summer months, looking ahead to a new school year, several of our summer episodes, including this one, will feature discussions about educating our kids, our foster and adopted children, especially those with trauma histories and FASD. Uh, So whether you utilize the public school or private school or you homeschool or online virtual school, whatever you do, whether you're loving how it's going and it's working or you're pulling your hair out, Uh, You won't want to miss these informative episodes with fellow parents navigating the same rocky road. And we have so much excellent and relevant content to bring you on the Adoption and Foster Care Journey podcast. You're not going to want to miss a single episode. So if you are not yet a subscriber to this podcast, I would sincerely appreciate it if you would take a moment and subscribe and leave a review. Uh, It's super simple to do. Subscribing will make sure you don't miss a single episode, and it also makes a huge epi- a huge impact, sorry, because when listeners subscribe, it signals to that infamous algorithm that this show is relevant, it's important, people want it, um, and we want all adoptive and foster and kinship caregivers to find this show because we believe it's a vital resource to the parenting journey. Uh, so I hope you'll take a moment to subscribe. Also, if you find this show to be an encouragement, we would love to hear from you. If you have a comment or a question, uh, a topic you want us to cover or a guest you would love for us to interview, please reach out to me by email. You can contact me directly. Uh, my email address is Sandra Flack, JFO at gmail.com, or you can just go through our ministry website, justicefororphansny.org. Now I'm super excited about this. Stay tuned to the end of this episode for an important announcement about something huge that's coming up in September. I have been kind of teasing that, um, but I finally have details to give you. So stay tuned. You're not going to want to miss. So now to today's guest, Shannon Yakabachi. 
Shannon is first and foremost, an adoptive mom of multiple children with varying brain-based conditions, including fetal alcohol spectrum disorder. Shannon specializes in FASD as an educator, trainer, advocate, certified facilitator of the FACETS neural behavioral model. She's also a master IEP coach. I didn't even know there was such a thing and we need that. She is founder of Embracing the Brain, formerly known as Diversely Design. Uh, Embracing the Brain provides education and training to caregivers, foster and adoptive parents, educators, social workers, mental health professionals, and organizations. She has coached families in applying the facets neurobehavioral model in their individual homes. Shannon has been at the IEP table as a parent seeking support and services for her children in the public school system from preschool through high school. Because of her experience in the IEP process, she decided to become a master IEP coach coming alongside parents to equip them with knowledge and tools to collaborate with the entire IEP team. Shannon is currently homeschooling two gifted elementary school children and navigating how to teach to their different learning styles and struggles. We've got a whole bunch we can learn from Shannon. So please welcome our returning guest, Shannon Yakabachi. Hey, Shannon. Hey, how's it going? Well, you seem to be certainly busy with a lot going on since we last talked. Um, you were a guest, I think, last year on the podcast. But for our listeners who might not be familiar with your story, would you share a little bit about your family? How many kids you have? Did you foster, adopt? Give us the details. All righty. Um, well, thank you for having me. I love yeah. being here. This is so fun. Um, so a little bit about me and my family. We are a blended family. We, between the two of us, we have six kids. Um, some are uh, biological and we also did foster care through adoption, uh, adoption through foster care. And um, so that's kind of a little bit of our family. Uh, I have some right now. I have four older kids, so I've got a 21-year-old, two 20-year-olds, a 19-year-old, a nine, almost 10-year-old now, coming up here soon, and an eight-year-old. Crazy busy. Wow. <laughs> I can imagine. I'm, you're kind of like me, because mine actually, well, my, my, I can't even believe I have to say this, but my oldest biological is 30, going to be 33 mind-blowing. Obviously, he's, he's married and out of the house and has kids, um, all the way down to my youngest our youngest two um, who, who are still at home are 16 and going to be 19 this month. So um, yep. crazy, crazy. It's crazy. crazy. This is camp run amok right here. <laughs> at its finest. <laughs> yes. Yes. Every day is a new, a new day of that same thing. Oh my goodness. Exactly. So now you have children um, who have fetal alcohol spectrum disorder or other brain-based conditions. Tell us about that a little bit. So yes, I do have um, diagnosed for um, children are on the FASD spectrum um, in varying different degrees on how um, alcohol, prenatal alcohol exposure has affected them. And so we are constantly learning and constantly um, making accommodations and revamping based on the child and their needs. Um, so I do have four diagnosed with varying conditions, yes. Wow. That's a, that's yes. definitely, I've got two diagnosed. So I know how crazy it is at my house. I can only imagine. And all four are still home. Yes. Yeah. Yes. All four. Yes. That's correct. Wow. Yeah. So we have actually, we have five still at home and then one is off to college out of state and, you know, moving on with, um, with her career, which is incredible. Yeah. So yeah, so it's really cool. Wow. But the four home, all FASD to some degree. Yes. Yeah. Yes, ma'am. Yeah. Because yes. we know it presents, there's, there's common characteristics, common symptoms, but we all know every kid presents a little bit differently. There's no like straight across the board exact. Um, Correct. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, I love that you're also a facets uh, neurobehavioral model facilitator. I'm in the classes to um, also become a facilitator, which I'll finish up in February. I'm loving what I'm hey. learning. Yay. Super Amazing, excited. isn't it? Yes. Love <laughs> it. There's so much, but I'm like, this is so good. I just want to like keep soaking it in. Um, yes. So 
I know you're familiar with making accommodations for our kiddos, and I believe homeschooling is one of those accommodations that really does support our kids. Um, how, how Do you find that to be the case? I actually, I really do. Um, my children um, have all, all of my children have gone to school in some you know, a traditional setting of some sort, um, be it public school, be it private school. Um, we've tried all of it. Um, and we had successes and we had um, not successes, failures, basically. <laughs> I mean, like, I hate to say the word failures, but it just did not work. I was not the right fit um, for my children. And so, you know, I was... There were so many struggles with school and so many struggles with even just getting them to school that at one point we just looked at each other. My husband and I were like, why are we fighting this? Like, let's bring them home and see what we can do. And so I see it as a greatest, as the best accommodation for them because I know them best. And mm. so I can read when we're about to have a meltdown or something's too much or, you know, whatever. So I can accommodate based on how they are that day. In in a traditional setting, you've got how many kids and you've got this agenda you have to do as a teacher. And that makes it really challenging to meet the varying needs of every student because they're all at different learning levels and they're all at different developmental levels. So Yeah, I find that we do know our kids best and we know if the night before they've had sleep disruptions and we just know they're not going to be great functioning in the morning and to just make them go to school under those circumstances and then they're having a hard time just navigating and and, and, uh, and, and managing themselves. A teacher may not understand why they're not up to par that day or whatever is going on you know, we kind of know the backstory, we know what's going on. So we can accommodate even before, you know, I, I, I've known if my son even has, um, he'll, he'll kind of perseverate on something. Like if he, we've ordered something for him through Amazon, something that he's been wanting, if he knows it's coming on Thursday, basically I, he's not going to focus on anything Thursday until the UPS man comes with the thing. Right. And then even after the thing arrives, he just has to be with the thing. So, so it's like, right. Right. No, absolutely. Yeah. 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 And I mean, we had so many days where, I mean, I can tell you my youngest never made it a full day to school and never made it a full week. Yeah. So never had a full day um, and never made it a full week um, to school. And it was just constant anxiety. And I mean, there's so much on the kids, especially those with, um, gifted learning abilities, um, as our children are. And so we just found that homeschooling has been a really good thing for them. It really has. And COVID helped that. I mean, honestly, like it was just one of those things where it's like, Hmm, you know, we can do this. It's okay. You know, and we've learned a lot along the process. Yeah. So you mentioned COVID. Were you homeschooling the two kids before COVID or did that come about because of COVID? Like where did that, (laughs) when did you start homeschooling? Okay. So I started, actually, I started before COVID and then once COVID hit and we're like, okay, we're home, this is good. And then when school started to open up, I thought, you know what? I didn't know. I, I was like, is this even working? I don't know. I felt I put the pressure on myself that my child needed to learn certain things at a certain time and all of this. And even though I know all the things, you know, even being a facets facilitator, um, I still in the back of my head had this perception of what needed to be. So that's when I took one of my children and she was able to go to a, a private school because they opened up early and they were allowed to do certain things with masks and stuff before the public school system opened. Um, And we tried that for a little bit and then tried putting my littlest one with an extensive IEP into public schools. And what school started in August, they both went to school and by November, I pulled them both out. (laughs) I mean, it wasn't very long at all. It was just, it wasn't working. The anxieties, the meltdowns, the, panic attacks, the everything, the eloping, all of the things started taking place. And I was like, this is not worth it. You know, and I was stressed just even trying to get them to school. And I'm like, this isn't good for me. You know, I'm on edge all day. It's like, there was no, we were like, we're done. (laughs) done. (laughs) Yeah. 
have to know the kid. You have to know when, okay, this is not working what, with whatever the case may be. And I know our, my boys had, we, all of my kids, we had homeschooled. And then when everybody kind of, we had graduated six. So, you know, most of the kids were out of the house. One was away at college. It was just a different dynamic in our home. And the two youngest that were home, we were homeschooling, but it was like running to services all the time, running to speech, running to OT, running to vision therapy. And they both required one-on-one learning. And if mm-hmm. one if one was at the table and I was working with him, the other one couldn't be in the room because if one breathed, the other one had the meltdown. It was like, you know, yes. So, so for two yes. years, yeah, for two years, I'm like, this is not working because I don't feel like we're getting anything done. It's not really helping them at all. So through much prayer and trepidation, we put them in our public school, which had a good, a good uh, special education program, um, had a good relation, working relationship with them. And that was going really well. And just until it didn't. And COVID was one of those things that impacted because, uh, you know, my youngest at the time was 14 when COVID shut everything down. So that abrupt schools closed. And we'll go back in two weeks. No, it'll be two more weeks. No, it'll be a month. No, we might not go back until the fall, right. you know, like that, all right. of those unknowns, just, he couldn't, he, cause he needs to know what's going to happen before it happens. Like he yes. needs to know. And so yes. there was none of that. And it's like his whole world was rocked. Plus he was, you know, he was 14 at the time. You've got the hormones, you got the FASD, like all these things were going on and he really struggled. Um, so when we went back to school in the fall, because our district did reopen in September of 2020, um, the boys went back, but it was, our district had such modified, just they changed so many things because of COVID. It was really kind of like off the charts. And my son just could not learn. He was like back in survival mode, could not learn. So by the middle of October, I pulled him out. Um, and then, and started homeschooling him thinking, I don't know, I know what to do, right? I don't know how, like if the school is ever going to be normal again, this is just not working for him. So, and we hit our groove by the end of that year with the homeschooling and decided we're just going to continue to homeschool throughout high school. Cause he was eighth grade um, at, uh, well, yeah, he was eighth grade that year. And then our, the older boy was a senior and he was doing a vocational training program through the school. Um, but that was a case where FASD, dismaturity, like all of the things coming together and kind of started encountering, um, you know, he was introduced to vaping. He was introduced to weed. He was introduced to all these things. And uh, we pulled him out of the vocational program. Um, he, we were able to arrange how he could graduate anyway and finish. But, you know, it was like, now that I know more about FASD and understanding that, you know, it was like sending a nine or 10 year old to a vocational training program with a bunch of 18 year olds. And it's like, that is not a good environment. He couldn't navigate the environment. And that was another reason why I felt like we're just going to keep the younger one home throughout high school because the school would want him to be on that same type of track because Mm -hmm. of special ed program. He wasn't, right. you know, n- neither one of my boys were in line for a general education diploma. Um, it would be a certificate, you know, basically, per, you know, equipping them, preparing them for a job. Um, and it's like, I can do that at home. Right. <laughs> I know how to do that at home. Right. So we're back to homeschooling, but I think the moral of the story, I guess I would say is every one of our kids is different and every situation is different. And you really have to watch what's best for the child. And, and right. so many times for our kids, homeschooling is the accommodation that's going to provide a more successful outcome. Correct. And um, I mean, I t- ended up pulling out one of my high schoolers pre-COVID. Um, we pulled um, her out from public school. We tried a charter school, still didn't work because of the requirements that they had wanted. And finally decided, you know what? I mean, there was so much trauma with school and everything. And I looked at, you know, the qualifications to graduate and honestly was almost completed. It was just going through the timeline of completing all the extras. And I was like, you know what? I can do this at home. And so we were able to do different things that um, supplemented what was required. And she was able to graduate um, on time with 
you know, everyone else, um, her peers, so to speak. Um, but I mean, and we even had a period, which I'll talk about in a little bit of where we didn't do anything. We de-schooled. We mm. just chilled, yeah. you know, um, because there was so much trauma that to even think about doing anything school related was just overwhelming for yeah. the child. I think that's maybe what we would have called what I did when I pulled my son out in October, 2020, um, was kind of like a de-schooling thing because uh-huh. I didn't even have curriculum anymore. When, when the kid, when the boys went to school, I sold or gave away all of my curriculum. I had like nothing. I had books on the shelves that we could read, but it wasn't like they were even they, my boys aren't readers really per se. That's a thing, right. but, right. but we spent a lot of time doing like money math and, you know, adding up things from the grocery store flyer that came in the newspaper and just kind of fun life application kind of things. And, and slowly added some form of a curriculum to it. And then when we resumed this, this past September, 2021, we, you know, then I really began to implement more of a curriculum, but it was sort of like taking that time to just decompress from all that stress from school and Mm -hmm. kind of getting acclimated and just stabilized. And I mean, we were, I was really trying to avoid a mental health crisis. So that's what we were doing. And that's exactly what we had to do too. We de-schooled and just connected and just did family life. Yes. You know, it was just, you know what, we're just going to, we're going to bake today. We're just going to, we'll do this today. You know, let's just not stress over anything. Let's just take some time. There's no timeline. There's no clock ticking. Right. It's fine. You know, and I had to get to that point too, where I realized, you know what, our mental health is more important Mm -hmm. than a piece of paper. That's right. So it's all good. Yeah. So yeah, absolutely. Love it. Love it. So give us a glimpse into your, I was going to say typical homeschooling day, but we were (laughs) laughing earlier. Like there's no such thing as a typical day, but you know, the gist of what you try to accomplish in a day, I I guess I would ask. (laughs) Uh, Yes. It's funny because there is nothing typical about our homeschool day. Um, I pretty much for my, for us and for my family um, right now, I'm trying to revamp it trying to figure out what's going to happen, you know, when we start back up, so to speak. Um, I pretty much though, go with the flow of how my kids wake up in the morning. Mm-hmm. I can have the best of attention. Like I can plan that we're going to learn about sea turtles today or something. And one of them may wake up in a just bad mental space and I have to roll with that. And so, and what I do with that is um, we, we work a lot on, um, What's the word I'm looking for? We work a lot on emotional regulation. We work mm-hmm. a lot on communication. We look work a lot on life skills, basically. Yes. Um, you know, we you have to clean up after yourself. Um, things like the little things like that. And it sounds so minor, but for our kids, it's a big deal. I mean, cleaning mm-hmm. up after yourself, what? You know, yeah. I mean, they just, it's just all over the place. You know, and we have to have that type of structure, so to speak. Um, we, I, I like to try with, um, I mean, they'll, they'll wake up in the morning and, and yes, I do give them screen time. I allow them to just slowly wake up and have a little bit of screen time. Some parents for their family, that doesn't work for mine. It does helps them to slow up, uh, to slow, um, slowly wake up in the morning. Um, then we do breakfast and then we, um, we have some downtime and then we do some reading, try and do some reading and that reading can be together or you can read. I have a child that knows how to read, so she can read on her own if she wants to, or she can read with us because my little one does not read yet. Um, and we take a lot of breaks. So mm-hmm. our reading time, it's not, it's everything is very broken up. So your typical day when you hear homeschoolers say, oh yeah, we're done by noon or whatever. Well, that's not the case with us. Sometimes we're doing stuff at night, even though it's life skills, because we had to take 30 breaks in the day because, you know, we can only have a four minute attention span, you know, or something like that. So um, I do a lot of breaks. I do a lot of transitioning. So within the breaks, learning how to transition, that that's a life skill Um, because we have to have, I mean, we can't just, I have to prep them. Okay. In this amount of time, we're going to do this. Mm -hmm. Um, They like the rundown of the schedule. What are we doing today? I cannot tell them. I can tell them the night before, hey, this is what we're doing tomorrow. 
But by the time they wake up in the morning, it's, what are we doing today? They don't remember, (laughs) you know, they have no clue what I told them the night before. And then I'll start to say it. And then it's like, oh yeah, I kind of remember you said something like that. Um, So um, we have our solo time, we have our breakfast, we have our reading. And then honestly, it's, do you want to do your language arts or do you want to do math? You know, oh, mom, I want to do this. Okay. And it is like 15 minutes because Mm -hmm. I mean, that's about it. And if there's struggles, I can say, it's time to take a break. We start having meltdowns. If we're scribbling on the paper, if we're ripping it up, if we're, you know, obviously it's too much. So we need to like, just take a breath. Um, So I kind of do it a little child led. um, But then I also have my, in the background, you know, what I want to do. So that's, that's kind of how our, our day ebbs and flows. I mean, there's a lot of freedom in the homeschooling to go outside and do different things. And I try and pull in, I mean, they're learning all the time. We don't realize it, but I mean, even in just imaginative play with each other, they're learning and I'm able to be there to say, okay, how can we do this differently? Or how, you know, do you hear how that sounds or, you know, the words or this and that. Um, So it's a lot of, a lot of that for right now for them. Yeah. Which I love the, that you said child-led because that's, we have a schedule in the morning too, or not, I guess it's a schedule, but it's kind of like a list of these are the subjects, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. you know, we always kind of start with while he's eating breakfast, I read to him where we either have a Bible study or a Bible because I'm a teenager um, or I'll read a chapter or something where it's always something we start, try to start with, with something from the Bible. And then, then it's like, okay, what do you want to do next? So there's the list of things that we have to accomplish. And I get to I let him pick quite yeah. often. He'll just do it in the order that we always do it. Like he likes that mm-hmm. routine. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, but sometimes he'll want to do it. I'll let him decide, okay, today in math, we're going to be watching a video to teach the lesson. And then, but in reading, you have to read the story. So what do you want to do? Which thing do you want to do first? So sometimes he'll like, just depending on what he knows we're going to have to do, he'll pick, um, you know, so, so it's just kind of, gauging it by that just and seeing where he's at because sometimes if we're on a roll he can go a little bit longer if he's just not like reading is hard for my son he's 16 um I don't know he's probably on like maybe a second grade reading level we're making great progress but he has um visual challenges he had a year of vision therapy which greatly helped but when he reads um he yawns like he literally it's so Mm -hmm trying on his brain when he reads it exhausts him so so every so many lessons there's a short story that he has to read with the curriculum that we use so what we do is we started out doing like he would read a paragraph I would read a paragraph he would read a paragraph I would read a paragraph now we're kind of like he'll read a page I read a page and we kind of go through the story that way and I make sure he's got you know try to make sure there's comprehension and stuff but I noticed he just yawns the whole time, but I know after that year of vision therapy that he had several years ago, that it's just taxing on his brain to read. It's literally Mm -hmm. exhausting. So knowing that I don't require him to read tons and tons and tons of things, you know, I can kind of gauge by like, how much is enough? Like how much is just enough where we he's met the, met the goal for the day kind of thing. Um, but it's again, knowing our kid and letting it be child-led and knowing what they're able to do and when they're just done. Right. And I mean, we, sometimes we have these agendas and we think, oh, we have to get this done today or we have to do this this week. And sometimes our kids just can't. And I like how you said the, the read to me, read to you kind of thing. Um, we've done that a lot with my, with one of my, um, girls and it's really, really helped a lot. It's like, you know what, we'll break this up. You read this, I'll read this. And that way it won't be hard, but she does, she gets tired or she gets overwhelmed. And even the one, when I read to her, one of them, she's just like, after I'm done with reading, sometimes she takes a nap. Yeah. So, I mean, I mean, eight years old and sometimes she's so tired from the morning's activities, whatever they are, mm-hmm. even if they're minor by 10 o'clock, she's taking another nap. Yeah. You know, I mean, it, I, I, and she's learned the good thing is though, she's, I mean, she couldn't do that at school, right? right? She right. couldn't just go take a nap at school. So what would she do? So this is good because she's learning her body that, you know what, after so much brain work, I have to rest. So she's, and that's good that we're home and she's able to learn her body cues and her brain cues. Like I need to sleep mom. Okay. 
Yeah. Go take a nap. My 19 year old who, who did graduate and he's, he works for, in our family business. He'll come home from work at three 30. He gets done at three 30. So he's home by four uh, and he takes a nap like every day and he's 19 mm-hmm. years old, you know, mm-hmm. and he, that he just, yeah. he, he's done, you know, being on all day long yep. and having to navigate all of the things is exhausting, yes. physically exhausting. And he's, he's yes. FAS as well. So um, yeah, my older two do the same thing. Yeah. I mean, it's like, I'm so tapped from whatever it is I've had to do today. I've got to sleep. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So, and we know, I yeah. know that I know he needs, he needs that. I, you know, so it's not a lazy kid, right. It's just, right. That's something that his body, his body requires that sleep because it's just so taxing. Um, yes. Yeah. So many, so many great things. And I noticed like for me in the early days of my homeschooling back in 2001, when we first started and I was homeschooling my biological kids, and um, I was a very rigid homeschooler. Like, you know, it was about achievement and getting all the things done and, you know, all of that. Whereas now I'm down to one, right. The one that I'm doing at home. Um, and I just find like all of that pressure is sort of off that pr- pr- pressure to perform at somebody's, you know, expected level, because I know I'm, I'm home educating my son in it's what he needs to learn. And, and it's, right. it is child led. Um, I think some of the pressure is off also, because I know that it's not that he was going for a, a, a general ed diploma or a regents diploma. We have regents in New York state. Um, he's not having to perform at some level that I need to make sure that he's doing so that I look good as the homeschooling parent or whatever. It's really all about him and what he needs. And we can focus on if it's life skills today, or, you know, and it might be just the importance of wearing deodorant when you're 16, like it has to go on. (laughs) Sometimes it's those very basic life Mm -hmm. skills that have to be what we're focusing on. Um, So it's just, it's, it's kind of, in a way to me, I'm having more fun and the pressure is off and it's really about him learning than just him learning information and regurgitating it for a test or something. It's living, it's learning for life and it's a hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yes. That is exactly it. Yeah. So speaking of, of that kind of thing, what curriculum works best for your kids? What do you use? Cause there's, you know, there's, there's math curriculum <laughs> oh and reading curriculum gosh. and this and that and the next thing. And there's so many things out there. How does a parent make a decision? What do you use? Um, well, we're kind of eclectic around here, I guess they say. Um, <laughs> Me too. Um, we, yeah, we grab a little here and there. Um, a, a lot of play time and together time. Um, I, you know, I, like I said earlier, we do a lot of regulating our feelings. We do a lot of communication. Um, acad- academics right now are secondary to our life skills. Um, so because when we're not regulated, we can't learn. Mm-hmm. There's just Absolutely. no way, right? So when we are off the charts, why would I even try, right? Why would I try to introduce a math skill or a reading skill or something science-y when we can't even get our, you know, our emotions in check that it's just going to be a battle. Um, so I try to incorporate a lot of learning um, with activity. And what I mean by mm. that is, um, for example, I can say, Hey, we're going to do a craft. Let's do a craft together. So maybe we're going to learn about sea otters and I find a sea otter craft. Okay. A simple craft. And then while I'm there doing the sea otter craft, we're watching a YouTube video about sea otters you know, mm-hmm. or something like that. So, because they like to do, my girls I have found like to do more than one thing at a time, you know? Um, and so, I mean, they, it's a distraction for their brain. They can learn and do the craft and it's a simple craft. It's not something that has to have a lot of guidance or direction. I mean, I'm there, but it's not like, you know what I'm saying? Like, it's not this complicated thing. Right. Um, it's just a simple little something, shove a paper bag full of newspaper and tie it. And here's a piece of paper and you glue it on there and color it like simple activities that it makes it look like a sea otter. And then they're learning about the sea otters. And I find that they learn a lot more and they can remember that better than if I were to give them a worksheet Yeah. to say here, here's what a sea otter looks like. It's like, no. And then I can take that and say, okay, let's go. Once we're done learning about sea otters or whatever ocean animals we want to do, let's go to the ocean or let's go to the aquarium or let's, you know, 
will learn, you know, learn about this kind of this kind of stuff in a, in a more fun and engaging way. And they have a tendency to remember it more when it deals with real life mm-hmm. than when it is um, just regurgitated textbook material. So wow. I really, I have tried curriculums. I have tried, oh, so-and-so says this is great. So-and-so, and there's so many, like you said, it can be overwhelming. And I have tried curriculum after curriculum and they have tanked because it's not what my kids' brains can do. Yeah, It's not, I mean, I had, I had these visions. I mean, I don't know about you, but I mean, cause you've homeschooled for so long. I had these visions that we're all going to like, just gather around the table and we're just going to have this wonderful school experience. We're going to have tea parties. It's going to be this wonderful thing. And that is not the way that it is. <laughs> you know, I mean, the reality is, I mean, especially with our gifted learners, it's not, it's just not the way that it is. And so I had to let that go and go with the flow. So we are eclectic around here. We just, yeah. I grab and pull whatever I think um, is I mean, it's still, when it comes to certain things like math or whatever, obviously for me, we have a system, you, you know, you have to build on the foundations. You sure. can't learn how to multiply if you don't know how to add, you know, okay. things like that. So we have to do it in a sequence form, but we can be creative in how we do it. It doesn't have to be a worksheet. Yeah. It sounds like you use a, like a multi-sensory approach, like yes. with the, the sea otter, you've got the, you've got the washing the video and they're, they're um, making a craft and, um, and every kid is different. So my, my youngest is not hands-on. He does not like to do anything with his hands. He hated Legos. He doesn't like to draw mm-hmm. color, paint, nothing with his hands, hates it all. Um, but he, I find that he's an auditory learner. He likes to hear. He mm-hmm, also likes mm-hmm. YouTube videos to learn. So for like, for example, what we do for history, I've, I used to use with my kids, it's called uh, mystery of history. And I've loved, mm-hmm. I love it. And I've modified it. He doesn't do the quizzes. He doesn't memorize any facts, but right. I'll read the story to him or the, like the, the lesson to him. And then I know the one day it was, I forget who it was, the Phoenicians or somebody in the world, you know, figured out how to make glass. And my son was like, oh, how do you make glass? So we watched a YouTube video about glass making and we yep. both learned something. So just things like that, you know, he's not going to yes. memorize facts because he's not going to remember them. Memory is hard for him, um, but he does like to learn things. So if something, when, when something piques his interest like that, then we'll watch a YouTube video on it. Right. Another thing that right. you, made me, you made me think of when you were talking about the animals is my daughter, who's, who is their biological sibling we adopted internationally, who probably is maybe very mildly somewhere on the spectrum was never diagnosed, but, you know, looking back, she's now 22, but she'll come out with facts about animals now, um, that like, she just knows things. And then I'll be like, that's because you were homeschooled. And she's like, no, that's because you always had us watch wild crats for science. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, that's awesome. Yes, I did. But you know, but it works. And, and she if remembered it's, and it, it, yeah. Right. And it relate. And if they can, like I said, if they can relate it to real life, like if there's a story that goes along with it, one of them learns so much better that way. And you said auditory books on tape. We do that sometimes, yeah. or those ones where you can follow along and it reads it to you, especially for my non-reader. You know, we've, we have recently discovered some of the learning disabilities that she has, and it's going to take a lot more work to read and to do math and to do all these things. Um, but when they can relate it to real life and it works and the multi-sensory works too, because also they're doing a craft and they're watching the movie, but I also have a snack in front of them. So they're not hungry. And the snacks, I mean, just being able to feed your brain with cheese or whatever protein you have, that is so helpful for them. You can't Mm. do that in a traditional setting. You can't sit and just have a snack while you're learning. And that has been a a big deal for my kids, that that they eat their snack while they learn. It helps them think. Is it okay? Yeah. You know, I can be flexible with that. Not a problem. Yeah. Not at all. You know? Yeah. Exactly. So that's 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 my curriculum. A little bit everything. (laughs) Yeah, that's kind of that's very similar, very similar to what we do. Um, But our listeners might be be thinking, okay, that's all well and good. But when you homeschool, you have to report to the school district and our kids may have an IEP. Um, So let's talk IEPs because you, you know, you are the master here with the individual (laughs) education plan. So um, what has been your experience, first of all, navigating the IEP with the public school system when you're homeschooling or even if they're in school, because it's, it can be one of those, you know, 
fear and trepidation kind of experiences for, for families that really aren't well versed with the IEP? Okay. So first and foremost, IEPs are going to certain state laws are going to, it's going to vary by state as Mm -hmm. far as what homeschoolers need to do in reporting to their district or not. I do not have to do that here in California. Okay. I can, I can be a private school and I can just do my thing. All I have to do is they're in school. I don't have to report progress or any of that. Some states require more. Some states require for you to provide, um, you know, examples of their work. I mean, Mm -hmm. there's all sorts of things. So the most important thing to know is to know the laws in your state. Um, That's important to research. So I can't tell you there's no one size fits all cookie cutter approach to homeschooling. Um, Same with IEPs in the public school system. Um, Every state is different. Every district could be district. I mean, I mean, different. The, The laws are still the same, but there's different policies that may be in place. So what I experienced in the with navigating the IEP process in public school, it started when my older kids were super little, and we had to have um, early intervention services for speech, and then we had to do the IEP process, and I did not know anything about it. I just was, okay, she's getting speech, and everything's fine, and blah, 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 you know, we're good, okay, you know, and I just went in with rose-colored glasses, oh, they're taking care of my kid, everything's fine, and it wasn't until upper elementary and then stuff that we started noticing some things more. I mean, we knew, but we didn't know, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like, Hmm, something's not right, but I didn't know there was an IEP. I didn't know there was things that could be done to help my child. So then started understanding like, well, Hey, we need to find out what's going on. Um, because we started seeing behaviors because we started seeing some struggles. And that's when I started really getting involved in the IEP process was because of my own child um, and had to navigate that through the middle school and high school years. And I can tell you that it was not an easy feat. And I felt very, um, I, I didn't know. I didn't know what to do. Like I was just clueless. And yet at the same time, I felt alone, you know, mm-hmm. in the process. So as I started to learn how to ask for what my child needed, started realizing what that all entailed. Um And so then, of course, the fire in me started burning, you know, and (laughs) I was like, wait a minute. Um, If I, you know, not all parents are able to um, do some of the things that I did, whether it's um, because I was stay at home mom. So Mm -hmm. I could, you know, focus or go to a meeting or something like that. And not all parents can do that, you know, and I've considered myself fortunate to do that. Um, I learned a lot of tips and tricks along the way. And because of that, that's why I decided to help other people um, through the IEP process, help them to navigate it, them and help to empower them so that because as parents, we're supposed, you know, we're supposed to be an equal member of the IEP team. And mm. um, but we don't know that. Nobody right. tells you that. Nobody tells you how how to advocate for your child when it comes to the school system. Yeah, kind of left think- to your own. Yeah. And I think, like you said, it varies by state because there's different state laws. I'm in New York state and we have some of the um, strictest uh, Mm -hmm. regulations, you know, requiring I've got to do in New York, I have to do a letter of intent um, Mm -hmm. several months before the school year to let the school district know we're homeschooling again. I have to do an IHIP, which is an individual home instruction plan, listing all of the curriculum that we're going to use for all of the subjects. Then I have to do the quarterly report. So then I have to report their progress in each of those subjects every quarter. And then uh, there's testing annually, depending on what grade level, what grade they're in, and all of that kind of thing. So it's, it's, a, it's pretty, pretty rigid requirements on the family. And, you know, my boys had, well, um, our youngest who had the most significant um, challenges and, and, and symptoms, he's, he was the first to get the FAS diagnosis. Um, when we were still home homeschooling in those early days, because he came, we adopted him when he was five. Um, and so he had, we took him at the advisement of the, of the social worker that we were getting some counseling with. Um, we took him to our school district because the recommend, you know, she recommended, you, you know, she was pro a pro homeschooler, uh, but she mm-hmm. said, you want the school district to know that 
um, you know, if he's not making progress or if he's not at a certain grade level, it's not because you're not educating him. It's because he has a disability. So if they, if they do the evaluation, they'll know, right. So it becomes part of his record. So we did that. Um, so he got an IEP. So when we were in the early days of homeschooling, he had that, um, and, it also varies in New York state, especially I know of personally by school district. And we happen to be in a district that um, I was able to build a good relationship with. Um, they listened to me. They tried to come alongside, but then I know, you know, just two school districts over or two towns over, I know of homeschooling families whose school district is a nightmare to work with. So there's no, like you said, there's no cookie cutter. It varies by state. It can even vary by school district. It just depends on where you are. So you need to know your regulations. You need to know your rights. You need to know and understand this process. So I'm so thrilled that you're able to kind of offer that guidance and support to families um, to get to know that. So Shannon, what, um, as an IEP master coach, explain for us how you help other families navigate the system. Um, Well, okay. So what I first do is I I like to speak with them and ask them, you know, like, what are your top three concerns? Like, what are your, like, if you, if you had a hill to die on, basically, what, what are your top three concerns? Mm -hmm. And then, um, like I said, I try to empower them with the knowledge of the process. You know, this is what to expect. This is what's going to happen um, in, in how to make the request for their child um, so that it, you know, to start creating that timeline for them, Um, providing the tools to help them. Um, sometimes I'll help them with the letter writing, but they get to do, they put it in as it's from them, not from me, um, because empowering the parent because it's their child, um, eventually I want them to not have to need me, basically. Mm-hmm. You know, I want them to be able to go in with confidence that, you know what, I know what to do and how to ask and, you know, how to collaborate with my, with the IEP team. Um, and like I said, because the parent should be the equal member of the, of the IEP team. They are the child expert. Okay. Right. So, um, so I will support them with meeting attendance if they need me there or want that um, collaboration to help. I will do that with them if, if needed. Um, I do a lot of stuff on the back end and coaching parents how to go through the IEP process, how to, um, what to help, you know, ask for, how to collaborate with the team. Um, you know, recognizing we're not going to solve all the world's problems in a day. You know, no, there's no perfect IEP, um, letting, reminding them it's a fluid document, reminding them that it's a reactive document. In other words, we can change it at any time, but also we, an IEP is not for too much of the future. It's for where we are right now. We plan for the future within the IEP, but a student doesn't receive an IEP just, you know, for what may happen in the future. Right. That makes sense. You yep. know, we can't say, oh, we're going to hit middle school and we know the behaviors are coming because of this and this. Well, the school's going to say, well, that's really great. Just we'll wait and see. Yeah. You know, we'll see the behaviors happening before they're not going to just offer an IEP. Yeah. Um, so that's basically what I do. I mean, I just do a lot of coaching with parents. I, I Like I said, I provide tools for them. I have different levels of, of ways that I help based on the need of the parent. Some parent just need, sometimes parents just need me to help them write a letter and then some parents, you know, are like, I need you in the meeting, you know, and then recap it for me and all of, you know, do help me do all the things. So mm-hmm. it depends on need on what I do, but that's basically kind of at a reader's digest or, oh, wow, I just dated myself um, <laughs> in a nutshell, in a nutshell, yeah, what awesome. it is. <laughs> yeah, I know for uh, me, it was, I do. it was a little like my first IEP meeting, you know, we were still homeschooling, you know, and I felt mm-hmm. like, um, I was concerned that I would be looked at as somebody who didn't know what was going on, but then really did have a positive experience with our particular school district. But um, once we did put him in school for the few years, he was in school from fifth through uh, eighth grade is when COVID happened. Um, I started to realize that special education teachers and these folks sitting on, you know, representing the school in, in the IEP meeting, they really don't understand my kids' exact diagnoses. Like they may know stuff, but they, they aren't experts in FASD. And I, I realized I have to educate them because they, they, they don't know. I mean, I had one special ed teacher, um, in seventh grade, 
you know, during a parent teacher meeting, she loved, you know, like my son was doing great, but she said, you know, he really does have a problem with impulse control. And I was like, hmm, you think? Because like, that's a primary characteristic of FASD. So like, mm-hmm. that's not necessarily going to go away, lady. But again, <laughs> realizing that they don't, like, I'm like, she doesn't know. Like, she doesn't know right. FASD. She doesn't know right. this. And so I started realizing I have to educate everybody. So I kind of mm-hmm. talked to them like they should know, like, oh, well, you know, FASD is blah, 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 blah. Like, I kind of talk like they should know. Um, I talk about FASD constantly. It's like a constant, you know, the, the different things. Right. But also knowing that on the IEP, FASD is not a diagnosis. So it's not even listed anywhere on our IEP. Um, and I don't know if it's different in other states, but I know in New York, the, 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 the label on my son's IEP is other health impaired. Mm-hmm. And then of course the, the ADHD is listed here and there. So there's things, but it's, I make sure that they all understand this is, this is, this is FASD. This is what FASD is. You know, I'll sometimes recommend a book um, or, you know, like I'm always like drip, 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 drip. And so that they understand, I know what I'm talking about when it comes to this and they should too. And that's, and that's the valid point because a lot of, um, as a parent of children with FASD, um, I was constantly educating the school and, and you're right. They'll say, oh, well, it's impulse control or we have behavior issues. Oh, we're in high school. So this, this is just a rebellious teenager. No, this is what's happening. My, I mean, I am more than willing to say, yep, that's, that's due because that's teenage rebellion, but, or whatever they want to call it, but no, it really wasn't. It was this and explain it to them. And it's hard because <clears throat> excuse me, like you said, special education teachers and general education teachers are very unaware of what FASD is and how the presenting symptoms are and how to accommodate them in the school setting. And so we do find there's a lot of education that has to take place and teacher training, um, you know, personal development or professional development that needs to take place. And, you know, that's taxing. So that can be built into the IEP. You know, we can have collaboration hours. There are things that, you know, we can, that can be put in an IEP um, to help um, teachers learn about it. And so a lot of times we, we don't think about those. We don't think about wow. the collaboration minutes. We don't think about teacher, you know, professional development. We don't think about, you know, creative ways to make that happen where it's not pulling someone out of the classroom or, or, you know, making them do something outside of the school setting, you know, on their personal time, there's ways to build that into the IEP to help the student. Um, And so those are things that I I like to help because like I said, I was educating the schools and at first they were looking at me like, you're just coming up with excuses for your child's behavior. Mm. You know, you're just coming up with, this is ridiculous. And um, there's only a handful of states that allow um, FASD as a qualifying category for eligibility for an IEP. Um, we're hoping that more states will will catch on. Um, I know that California, we're tr- we're it, the we're trying to pass a bill right now, and um, and it's it's gathering momentum and it's looking positive that that may take place. Um, and so that is going to need to be a professional development for special education and general education teachers um, and administrators as well. Everyone needs to understand what this disability is. Yeah. So. And I'm passionate about that. So is that, Oh yes, me too. <laughs> yeah. So as, as, as facilitators of the facets neurobehavioral model, that is something that we would be able to provide our school districts. Is it not? Correct. Correct. Yeah. I mean, we, I mean, there's so much we can provide the school districts in regards to um, the accommodation pieces and different, different ways to work with individuals with FASD that can create better, um, pos- more positive outcomes than what they may be experiencing right now in the classroom. Yeah. Yes. Wonderful. So exciting to hear that. Cause that's one of the things that's on my heart to do, yes. um, to be yes. able to do. So Shannon, for our listeners who may be looking for that IEP help that you offer, how would they contact you? Oh, they can. Um, the best way is through email. If they want to email me at Shannon at embracingthebrain.com. Um, that's it. Just my first name because my last name's too complicated <laughs> to even try to spell. Um, it's just Shannon at embracingthebrain.com. So awesome. if you need any help, we can discuss it. And honestly, if if it's 
something, if I don't feel like if there's something that I can't help you with, I have a slew of other coaches that can help you um, based on your need. If for some reason um, it's not a good fit for us, like maybe it's a, a differing, dif differing disability that I'm not aware of and somebody else is very, very aware of what that child will need, I will refer out as well. But I love to, I, I'm here to help anybody I possibly can um, and seek the answers that they need and get, you know, the best accommodations and supports and services for their child. So I love that. And so you're, you have a website, embracingthebrain.com. Correct. Correct. So Correct. I, what I want to do is put the link to your website also in your email um, in the show notes for this episode. Okay. But I'd also like to add them, uh, your website to the, our FASD resource page on the Justice for Orphans website, um, because you offer such vital support and we have resources, FASD resources listed there. Um, JFO is now an FASD United affiliate. So yay! Um, yay! So we <laughs> want to make sure that everybody, you know, our listeners, no matter what state you're in, you don't have to be in New York state, but that they will be able to access resources. And if they go to our page, they'll be able to find the link to yours, or they can just go to yours, but we want to make sure that people know about that. So sure, no problem. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. So Shannon, as we wrap up, what advice would uh -huh. you give to a family struggling to decide what method of education is best for their kids? I know many of our listeners are adoptive and foster parents. They may be wondering if it's even possible to homeschool a, a child that has trauma or FASD or some other neurobehavioral difference, what would you say to these our listeners? I would say that absolutely you can. And the reason why I say that is because like we've talked about before, you know your child best. Um, you're the expert on your child. Um, you know their background, you know their history, you know what they need, you know how to meet that need. Um, so many... Um, and many of the requests that we might put in an IEP, we're probably automatically doing at home, but we just don't realize it. Mm. It's just not written down on paper. We automatically accommodate our children. I mean, look at what we do. Oh, you need a break. Okay, let's take a break, right? I mean, we, we automatically, um, we do that. And that's the same with their education. You know, like we talked about, we're doing something different. You know, we're not sitting them down and making them do a worksheet for four and five hours a day and doing right. crowd control. You know, I mean, when you look at homeschool, it's very different than traditional school. And you're doing a lot of life and you're doing a lot of connecting with your kids and you're doing a lot of um, just various things and experiences that they would not get in a traditional setting. Um, and so I would say, yes, you can. I would also say, again, one tip that I would give is if your child is in public school or private school and you decide that you're going to go the homeschool route, then I would highly recommend de-schooling is what they call it, like we were talking about. Um, just take time to do nothing. Just take time to heal because if you have a child that has been in the school system and they have not been understood and they have struggled, there is school trauma there that they have to undo and we have to unlearn it. We have to, as parents, we have to unlearn our expectations, especially if we've been schooled ourselves, mm -hmm. if we were not homeschooled, um, unlearn, you know, what is appropriate for them and, um, and breathe, just take a deep breath. There's no timeline and connection. Connection is your key mm -hmm. right there and yeah. you can totally do it. You can do it. I mean, Absolutely. if I can do it, I am yeah. not, you know, I'm like, you know, we're, we're okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I would say the same thing. If, if I can do it, anybody can do it. And I, I love, you know, the de-schooling thought because that's what we did when, when, when my son was still in school, you know, during uh, September, October of 2020, they shortened the school day because apparently, you know, that'll protect you from COVID. They shortened the school day, took away <laughs> lunch, took away PE, um, like all kinds oh, all of crazy things. <laughs> right. So when I, and I was picking him up, um, from taking him to school and picking him up. So he would have less time having, you know, to wear the mask. But, um, for our son, not only was all those changes preventing him from being able to learn, but because he has a trauma history, he had a fear of something happening to his parents. Yes. So as yes. much as we were trying to shelter him from, you know, the whole COVID thing, um, he knew enough to know something was going on. And for him, 
the masks were a symbol of this very bad thing that could actually mm-hmm. take out his parents and then he would not have parents again. So he was going to school every day, really in that fight, flight and freeze survival mm-hmm. mode, not being able to learn. His brain was not learning. Um, nope. And he was just trying to survive. And I would pick him up at noontime and he would like, I would have to bring him straight home. I couldn't go to the store. I couldn't go to the bank. I couldn't get gas straight home so he could go to his room and decompress because he was having such a hard time. And it's like, when we, when I did pull him out, it was just like, okay, let's just be together. He felt safer at home than he did at school. And, uh, you know, over time we could start learning things, but it had to be that just that, that de-schooling, you know, or unschooling or whatever they call it. But um, that's more important than trying to finish a textbook. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That you have to have that time to heal. You have to have that downtime where there's zero expectation, you know, because if you try to jump right into it, because I tried that at first a long time ago with my older child and recognized super quick that that was not the route that we needed to go. And so that healing time is priceless. Yeah. So necessary. Yeah. Yeah. We know our kids best. And we need yep. to let the child lead in this case. And, um, and we need that healing time. So, wow, Shannon, thank you so much for all that you're doing, for sharing your story, for all that you're doing to support and serve families. Um, thank you so much for sharing your expertise with us today. Oh, you're very welcome. Thank you for having me. I love to help people. So that's, that's my joy. <laughs> well, we appreciate well, thank it. You. Thanks. Awesome. Thank you. How thank you for listening to this episode of the adoption and foster care journey. I hope you found some inspiration and encouragement through Shannon's story. Be sure to check out the show notes for this episode where you can find links to Shannon's uh, Embracing the Brain website. We will also include a link on the FASD resources page at the Justice for Orphans NY.org website. Um, And there you'll also find out about our FASD 101 workshop, which is now available uh, online or in person. FASD 101 is a 90-minute training about FASD for parents and professionals. You can register online again at our website, justicefororphansny.org. And starting early next year, we're going to be offering um, several versions of the FACETS training that you can sign up for um, that I will be able to lead as a FACETS facilitator. Still on the topic of FASD, JFO is a platinum sponsor for FASD United's Run FASD, a virtual 5K you can run, walk, or roll uh, anywhere, anytime during September. We're also hosting a local 5K in upstate New York. To learn more about how you can register for the 5K, visit runfasd.org. And to my big announcement, I've been teasing out, just giving you a tiny bit. And now I can do a big official announcement. Natalie Vecchione of FASD Hope Podcast and I are collaborating together to bring you hope for the FASD journey, a support community for us caregivers raising individuals with an FASD. This faith-based community will include a bi-monthly support group led by both Natalie and I, a once-a-month VIP uh, conversation, uh, and a private Facebook group, which will include a weekly, every Saturday video Devo, devotional for you. Um, All of the details and the links will be provided as of August 15th. Um, on the Justice for Orphans website. Uh, And my August 15th episode will feature Natalie and I. We're going to talk about this collaboration and break it down for you. You will not want to miss it. So stay tuned for our August 15th episode. Um, And you can check out my family's kinship and Ukrainian adoption story in my book, Orphans No More, A Journey Back to the Father. It has just been nominated for a Golden Scroll Award. I am honored and excited to be traveling to Lexington, Kentucky in August for the Advanced Writers and Speakers Association Conference where the winners will be announced. I have no idea if I would even win to just 
have my book be nominated is a huge honor, but I'm going to go to Lexington and find out who wins. Um, if you'd like a copy of my book, it is available wherever you buy your books. If you order it from Amazon, it is available there as a Kindle um, and a, a paperback version. Uh, so you can get it on Amazon. If you do get it on Amazon, I ask that you would please go back in and leave a review. Um, that's super helpful to us author types. Um, and if you would like a signed copy of my book, which includes a nice little gift bookmark, uh, you can order it from my personal website, sandraflack.com. There you can learn more about me, read my blog, and contact me for speaking opportunities. I'd also like to give a shout out to our business sponsors, our Care Portal County sponsors that um, help fund our nonprofit somewhat, um, Trinuclear Corporation, Bishop Bowdry Construction, and National Bank of Coxsackie, and our newest county sponsor, Coleman Insurance Agency. These businesses care about children and families in crisis. They help us do what we do with our Care Portal platform by helping to um, support that initiative. So, you can check them out on our website as well. If you enjoyed this show, be sure to let us know by subscribing and let your fellow adoptive and fostering parent friends know so they can listen to the show and be encouraged and equipped too. Be sure to find and follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Justice for Orphans. And I myself, Sandra Flack, am on both Facebook and Instagram. So I'd love to connect with you there. I am so grateful that you spent your valuable time with me today. I hope you were encouraged along the way. I am thrilled to have you on this journey. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Adoption and Foster Care Journey podcast, brought to you by Justice for Orphans. We hope you were encouraged today. Please be sure to subscribe to this podcast and leave a review and share it with your fellow foster and adoptive parent friends so they can be encouraged too. Be sure to find and follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Justice for Orphans. And check out our website for vital resources at justicefororphansny.org.